Okay, a day without blockbusters, so we'll get back into Matt Williamson's draft rankings, the top linebackers for the 2022 NFL Draft, and some other thoughts about modern-day general managers, where the game's going, the willingness to make moves, and the types of players GMs are looking for. All that and more coming up on today's Peacock and Williamson. You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show. Brian Peacock and Matt Williamson at PB Peacock at Williamson NFL. Get those Twitter questions in. We're going to hit a couple on Friday since we didn't get to enough on Tuesday with all the crazy trades that are happening around the NFL. None today, so we can get into some other topics. And by the way, thanks everybody for making us your first listen here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This note I have to get out because I want to make sure I mention it. <laughs> this is from Greg Allman, who covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for The Athletic. And he says, this is insane. And I agree it's insane, but it makes perfect sense. So new teammates, guard Shaq Mason for the Buccaneers, right? Traded from the New England Patriots. And... Pass rusher Shaq Barrett that's been in Tampa for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Their names are both Shaq, obviously. Shaq Mason's middle name is, his full name is Shaquille Olajuwon Mason. And you could probably guess who he was named after there. I don't know other, many Olajuwons. I don't either. And many other Shaqs, you know, prior to 1992, which was the year they were born, right? And Shaq Barrett, his middle name is Akeem. Shaquille Akeem Barrett. <laughs> so both Shaq Mason and Shaq Barrett were named after the same two NBA players, Shaquille O'Neal and Akeem Olajuwon, with their first names and middle names. That's pretty amazing. Both centers, too. I mean, big guys. Yes, both yeah, big I mean, men, yeah. and both these guys are pretty large human beings, right? I'm sure oh, their yeah, parents yeah. were large and, and enjoyed, watch, or, you know, enjoyed watching the big men in the NBA. So that's, that's pretty nuts. And now they're teammates with the Bucks. I think that's awesome. I don't have anything to add to it except for that's unbelievably awesome. And, you know, obviously the parents didn't know that they were going to be great athletes or huge human beings, but they so happened to be. And I apparently mommy and daddy, or at least one of the two, were pretty big NBA fans and like the big guys in the post. And I find it funny that uh, there's a the prospect, the cornerback prospect, and we'll get to our cornerback top fives or Matt's cornerback top fives probably next week ish. Hopefully, Um, yeah, right, right. But, Kobe Bryant, his parents, I mean, his parents obviously already knew who Kobe Bryant was when he was born, right? Uh, Even though, um, and and so it wasn't like a, because I had a friend that grew up, his name was Michael Jackson, and he, you know, he was born at a time when Michael Jackson wasn't Michael Jackson yet, you know? Sure. And so. There was a lot of Michael Jordans out there. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Um, But, you know, Kobe Bryant, they named him Kobe, spelled differently, but, you know, he's got the same last name too, so he's got the same first and last name, and uh, I assume they were. Totally on purpose. NBA fans as well. Love it. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Um, I have a kind of a big picture question conversation for you mm-hmm. and kind of talks about generations, you know, that we have younger decision makers in the NFL now. You know, I mean, a lot of the old school curmudgeons are gone and these young whippersnappers are into analytics and there's a new breed coming around to coach and especially GM. And I think that's a major reason why we're seeing so many trades and movement. And I think analytics plays into that massively. You know, I mean, there's a better understanding of the cap and where to put resources. But as a guy that grew up as a not good athlete, I would have been the GM now that grew up playing 
fantasy football and Madden, but I could never play the game. Like, you think fantasy football and Madden as a 12-year-old to 20-year-old influences these guys to the point where I'll just make a trade. You know, I'll just trade two running backs yeah. for a wide receiver. You know what I mean? Like, just a different mindset. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. A quick, it's, it's easier to get a hold of somebody. A quick text here and there. That too, uh, right. The world's and, smaller, yeah. Um, uh, just, you know, just a, a looser vibe all around you know less less tight less um less worried about making mistakes in a way Mm -hmm. right yeah and uh i think gms you know had jobs longer back then as well so and you know players didn't get moved as much Uh, the game is changing a little bit too and i have a note on that as well as it pertains to this tyreek hill trade and, and some of the trends we're seeing in the NFL, but yeah, it's pretty amazing. And one of our listeners asked this a couple days ago was like, this is like a 13 year old playing Madden right now. And it's like, Mm. well, these guys did grow up playing Madden as 13 year olds. So they're not afraid to wheel and deal more than previous generations of general managers. That is absolutely clear. Yeah. I think all those things really play into it. I mean, fantasy football was new when I was growing up that I never heard of Madden. There was no internet, you know I mean? I think it's just, um, you're a lot more likely to make a trade now just you know because you grew up making trades every day on the computer or whatever. You know, I mean, yeah. I sound so old saying these things. But I'm, <laughs> well, I'm you, the old generation. I mean, know? even in the 90s, people were still doing fantasy baseball, you know, with pencil and paper. Looking in the uh, looking at the box dude, scores in the newspaper and, and adding up, you know, some very basic stats, you know, four categories. I, I can't help myself. I have to go on a little bit of a tangent. Okay. A little bit of a down day. <laughs> My buddy Sab was our fantasy commissioner. And Tuesday morning, he'd go get the USA Today, spread it out with notebook and paper, and add up everybody's scores, fold it up, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, stick it in the mailbox. We hoped we'd get our results by like Wednesday or Thursday, you know, because we're just shipping it right around the South Hills of Pittsburgh. And you hope he didn't screw up, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, like, had to you trust told him. him to pick guys up, you know, Hey, Sab, can I pick up, you know, yeah, Louis lips oh, you know, amazing. crazy. I mean, that's what we did for fantasy back then. Yeah, you actually you, you wait by the mailbox, hoping to hoping you won that week. You literally had to fax every transaction into the league and call it in, make sure somebody got it. And it wasn't all <laughs> yeah. instantaneous. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, and even, yeah, because I-, I can see how it absolutely would affect, you know, m- me and my generation versus the generation before me and even more so the, right. some of the younger GMs and head coaches around the league that are in their uh, 30s now. Uh, but w- in, I think it was a, around 1990, a video game came out for the Nintendo called Baseball Stars, and it was the first game of its kind. And, you know, I was a young kid, and I loved baseball. It was my number one sport. Um, and you could edit rosters for the first time. And wow. it was, I I was that, my yeah. mind was blown. And so I would go to the newspaper and go into the box score and make sure that George Brett's stats were exactly like they were in real life. I made sure you, there was three different stances that you could have for players. So I made sure George Brett had the sort of, you know, hunched over looking stance and made him look like he was the player he was and tried to make his his Nintendo image as close to the real image as possible. And you could, you could make up to six custom teams. And so I'd pick, you know, my favorite team was the giants. I'd make sure the Dodgers were in there and have like the Kansas city Royals in there. Cause I was on the Royals when I was in little league and I'd have the Yankees and the Cubs or whoever, you know, and I'd have, I'd pick six teams and I'd make sure those rosters were meticulous versus what their stats were in real life. And, um, that kind oh. of a, a mentality, you know, is stuck with me. And that's why I love doing this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, like, We'd play wiffle ball in my backyard all the time, like everybody did. Mm-hmm. But before we played, 
we had to draft teams and I, I draft George Brett and then they'd take Mike Schmidt or, you know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. My team was awesome on paper and I'd lose all the time in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you had to be them, right? Yeah. The same thing. We would, my, my best friend was the Yankees fan. So we'd go through and we had to be the whole lineup. And my favorite player is Will Clark. And I took so many left-handed Will Clark at bats and wiffle ball that I can hit left-handed really well awesome. to this day, yeah, even right. though I'm yeah. right-handed. So yeah. Yeah, I, I would win the draft, but I would lose the uh, <laughs> the pitching and hitting competition. And the other thing we used to do too, when I was a little, when I was real young, there was a game where you would like put a disc on a on like a spinny wheel, and it would be like it, it would be cut up like a pie. But Ty Cobb's disc would have tons of singles on it. Babe Ruth would have a heavy percentage of it being a home run, oh. and then you'd hit that spinner, and it would fly around and wherever it landed that's whatever that guy did at the plate, you know? So uh, that was kind of like, that was my beginnings too. You know, you draft those guys. <laughs> I love that. I, I've ne- never seen that one. That's, did, that was old for me even. You know, you like play the my weird... uncle handed that down to me or something. Did you ever play that weird like table vibrating football game where you put the players on there and they, I hated and they vibrate it. around? I hated it because it was like too random. You too know, random like, and, I wanted like... to build a team. It didn't matter if I had Bo Jackson yeah. or Emmett Smith or whatever. They just... <laughs> Vibrated around yeah. wherever they landed, they landed. You guys would just go the wrong way. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah. right, right. I, I had one friend, you know, it was kind of a toy that was before my time. I think my buddy, it was his dad's or something. We tried to play it once, and I was like, well, this is this is garbage. Let's go play Nintendo. Oh, I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's right. that. Yes, uh, I have one more note on the trends of the NFL, and it kind of ties into GMs, and it ties into what you know the, the Dolphins just did with Tyreek Hill and where the league is going obviously in a pass heavy league but where those passes are going and Matt Williamson's top linebackers in the 2022 NFL draft all that coming up it is that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us from all the latest odds contests and player props betonline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and information uh, Bet Online remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. I mean, Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Thanks for making Peacock and Williamson your first listen every day. Make sure you're following Locked On NFL. Locked On experts covering the biggest stories around the NFL every Monday through Friday. In less than 30 minutes, it's free and available wherever you get your podcasts, just like this show is and all the podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network. So, Matt, we talked about GMs and how active they are these days and how clearly they're not afraid to make big moves. And we've seen more than ever in 2022. I mean, it, it last year was insane, and I think this year dwarfs what we've even seen from last oh, year. Oh, yeah. It's nuts what's going on, especially the last couple of weeks. This It's unprecedented. Um, and now, when you see Tyreek Hill, and I think about what type of players the NFL is drafting, where passing games are going. You know, remember 60% used to be like a big deal, right? Teams ran the ball a lot, threw the ball less, big-armed dudes, you know, just like corn-fed dudes chucking it deep down the field, right? Like, that was the prototype for for quarterbacks. Quarterbacks are getting smaller. Arm strength is still there. Like, that's still a thing. But um, we're starting to see depth of target go down. And I think it's starting to be not quite the end, but size doesn't matter quite as much on the outside anymore. So much is happening no. in the slot. We're seeing smaller and smaller, quicker wide receivers run after catch. And Mike Clay of, NF- of ESPN put out a graph showing NFL 
average depth of target. And it's amazing how drastically it's dropped in the last 10 years or so, and even more so in the last three years. So if you go back to 2011, it's over 8.8 yards per attempt. The uh, depth of target in the NFL was 8.8 yards or, or more because it it's off the graph. 2012, 8.7. 2014 starts to creep down to 8.5, 8.4. It kind of hung out in the 8.4 range, just 8.3 or so uh, for about three or four years between 2014 and 2018. Then it dropped all the way down to 8.2, then 8.0 in 2020, all the way down to 7.8 depth, average depth of target per pass in the NFL last year. So it dropped a full yard depth per target, 8.8 down to 7.8 over the course of 10 years. And it might not feel like much. It's like only a yard, but I mean, that's a a lot. It's a big deal. And players are getting smaller and quicker. Even quarterbacks are getting smaller and quicker. Yes. (coughs) Excuse me. I think there's one massive reason why, and I can't bring this up enough. I should even bring it up more. And I bring it up all the time. Defensive linemen are better than offensive linemen. it's so much of this game goes back to that and just go watch the combine from a couple weeks ago and look at those velociraptors that are playing defensive tackle and defensive end and every year at the combine it's more and more impressive and yes the offensive linemen get more athletic as well but it's a massive disparity I mean there's all these dudes running four fives that are 255 pounds that can change direction with pterodactyl arms you know they're dinosaur reference I think that's the whole reason why is they can't block these defensive linemen. So less time to throw in the NFL, getting the balls out quicker, more yards after catch, higher percentage of passes completed. 70% completion these days is good instead of what used to be 60%, not that long ago. And I, it's, I think it also has to do with the rules changes, right? You don't have Ronnie Lott taking your head off. So a 175-pound receiver can actually kind of hang now. And you can put a guy in the slot and know he's not going to get killed. Back in the day, you had to be a tough guy if you were a wide receiver. And uh, you didn't want to get, you know, you you didn't want to throw hospital balls to your wide receivers running over the middle of the field because they would get absolutely cleaned. And that's not the case anymore. You, You got a free reign over the middle of the field these days. And so there's a lot of areas that you can really turn your passing game into the running game with the short pass and have catch and run with your receivers rather than you know beating your head against the wall in the run game and rather than getting your receivers killed out there yeah there's definitely that and to take it even a step further Mel Blunt and Lester Hayes don't beat the crap out of you at the line of scrimmage you know you can you can run more timing routes and things like that yes. I mean the, the corners just can't abuse your body all the way down the field like they used to and the league realize I can't go I can't stress it enough the league knows that the offensive linemen aren't good enough compared to the people they're blocking. So they're making rule changes to help it, yeah. including last year. I mean, two years ago, holding was legal. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. We saw a 155-pound receiver, Tutu Atwell, get drafted in the second round last year. That used to be disqualifying. Yeah. You, you were not going to get drafted if you weighed 155 pounds, period. Yeah. And mention the combine. This group of receivers coming out this year – a lot of 170 to 185. Yep. You see him in their shorts and t-shirts. Like that dude's pretty skinny. You know, I mean, he's not a rocked up Tyree Kill. He's a skinny, wiry dude. And those guys can play now. Um, it brings me to another theme too: is 
the league is about explosive plays. You know, the defenses will allow you to nickel and dime them down the field a little bit more because they're still afraid of the explosives. And, you know, it brings us to this, this Tua and Dolphins trade. They're trying to create explosives with just unbelievable offensive team speed now. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this trade is all about speed and creating explosives for Tua, even if it's a short throw that Tyreek Hill makes a guy miss or you hit him in stride, let alone going over the top and protecting better. So explosive plays are making the world go round. I want to talk about the Chiefs real quick, too, when we get a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I, Let's do it now before yeah. we get to linebackers, because I think there's a tie-in, too, with the, with your linebacker rankings. And, yeah, the, the the Miami Dolphins are putting together a track team. There's going to be a lot of motion, a lot of movement, right, right, a lot right. of crossing. They're trying to get a crease to have one of these dudes that run four threes house it on you. Yeah. I mean, even Gasecki's fast, and, you know, Mostert's fast. Everybody on the field for them is going to be fast for their position. KC, I'm unbelievably interested to see what they do with these picks, you know, particularly the, obviously the ones at the bottom of the first round, because I don't know if you noticed, but DJ Daniel Jeremiah put out a a mock draft yesterday. And he always says he, he does his rankings with his eyes. He mocks with his ears and he mocked Brees Hall, the number one running back to the bills. And he had an awesome combine. And I think you could make a case that Brees Hall is a potential first rounder. And why I'm bringing this up is I wonder if Kansas City is looking at things like we need to be more physical. We just totally invested an unbelievable amount last year in an offensive line. Juju Smith-Schuster is a great blocker. Markel Valdez-Scantling, who I assume is going to be a chief any minute now, is also a great blocker. I wonder if they're going to draft a Brees Hall and – Ask a little less from Mahomes. You know, I'm not saying they're going to ignore receivers. I don't know that. I think they might be zagging a little bit here and become a little bit more physical team. You know, old school Andy Reid, Lyman, Eagles running back types. I mean, it's kind of possible that they're doing both a little bit because Juju Smith-Schuster is a close to the line of scrimmage receiver, right? That's that's lower depth of target. So I think they're trying to get better in that regard while also keeping some team speed with the Marquez Valdez scantling type of player. But yeah, physicality is where they've lost some games and, and we've seen some some other teams have you know, the 49ers have been that team that's that's one with with close to the line of scrimmage, throwing middle of the field, run the heck out of the ball, be physical, beat you up with, you know, really good front seven and really good offensive line. And it, it worked they are one of the few teams that employs a fullback. So there's athleticism and, right, and right, right. explosion and playmakers, but there's a physicality level that and I think that's the reason the 49ers whooped up on the Rams a couple of times last year was pure physicality and um it's the reason they went far. Right, so I think, yeah, it's you've got to you can't completely forget about the physical nature of football and have only little guys that are fast because you'll eventually get pushed off the field by you know the New England Patriots or the San Francisco 49ers or somebody that that does play a physical brand that can still make plays with some athletes. Yeah, I mean, if we still think Bill Belichick is the best head coach in the league and is a mastermind, I don't know why he wouldn't. He did this a couple of years ago. I mean, he, 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 you know, is Reed going to follow suit? I mean, uh, I think you can make an argument that Shanahan, Reed, and Belichick are the best football minds on the planet right now. You know, they all going to take this trend and go that direction. And I, you know, Kansas City's a little different because they have Mahomes, and I'm sure Reed is like, well, Patty will get us our 
big plays no matter who our guys are. You know, he's going to buy time, make a throw no one else can, especially if I get extra people in the box and I'm pushing people around and, you know, asking less of him. And then, you know, first and 10 play action, he does an amazing thing. And then there's a home run ball to whoever it is, you know. So I I think that they just kind of looked at it like we can't count on Tyreek and Kelsey to be everything anymore. We have this line. We have this quarterback. The rest of the pieces we can find, but they're going to be physical guys. I can absolutely buy that. Although I think there's going to be some high level speed drafted. One of those first. I bet there's one as well. Yeah, exactly. And look, hey, I like Brees Hall a lot better than I liked Clyde Edwards-Hilaire coming out. I mean, I thought that was an absurd pick. You know, this is such a luxury pick of a Super Bowl team drafting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You know, at the end of the first round, at pick number thirty-two, Brees Hall is a better player than that. I still don't think teams should draft the first-round running back, but I could absolutely see. I mean, he he lit up the physical testing numbers, and he was on tape the best running back in uh, in college football. You know, available Mm -hmm. for the draft, and you had him as your number one running back in your top five running backs before the combine, and he only solidified that after the combine. I wouldn't be shocked at all if any of these old school coaches, you know, we want to run the ball, got to run the ball this many times, draft the best running back in the draft at the end of round one. And I bet Andy Reid goes to practice, looks at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and says, I should have drafted Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> yeah, definitely he says that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Or he says, I should have drafted an offensive lineman with that pick. Right, right, right. I mean, this 5'7 dude out there. I mean, he's not a bad player. I'm not picking on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. No. But even in that class, I would have taken Dobbins ahead of him. And, you know, I mean, right. he should not even have been the first back taken. Especially when you don't really feature your running back in the passing game because that was his – calling card right, they don't out. use like, them right yeah all right and maybe there's gonna be more of that who knows maybe more throws to the running backs as well like get the ball out of Mahomes' hands don't get him killed back mm-hmm. there and have a little bit more timing in the passing game a little bit more physicality save your your superstar quarterback and then develop some more high level outside playmakers as well then hit him over the top with some play action so we'll see yeah. if that's the way that uh, the chiefs are going and if they trade up for a receiver might it be drake london instead of you know uh michael hardman type so if there's more passes over the middle of the field, quicker, smaller guys getting the football uh-huh. closer to the line of scrimmage, Matt, that means linebackers have to be smaller and faster to cover those guys, but they still have to be able to stop the run as well when one of those teams with the fullback comes to town. So let's get to your top five linebackers in the NFL draft next. Okay, Matt, how difficult was this position group for you? It's a pretty good group of linebackers, off-ball linebackers. Uh, in the NFL draft in 2022, uh, size continues to drop for linebackers. You see a lot of former safeties in the NFL that are really good linebackers now. How much of a factor was coverage ability for you when you were ranking these guys? Massive, I mean, without question. Um, I turned my list in on March 8th. I'm looking at it for Steelers.com. And... It was the hardest list I've made yet, and I probably would change my top five now. I mean, again, this was before the combine. There's about a dozen guys that qualify for potentially top five status in this linebacker group. And I don't love the top of it. You know, like I would take Devin White or Roquan Smith well over anyone in this class. Um, But, man, if you need a linebacker, going shopping on day two is going to yield some great results. And that's the sweet spot, too, for linebackers. You know, you start looking in the third round, you can find superstar linebackers. You can find superstar running backs. You can find superstar safeties, interior offensive linemen, right? And so if you're a team that can get the the quarterbacks and the the edge rushers 
and tackles you and know, offensive tackles, and you get that done early, and you can sit there in the third round. Um, I mean, that's that's ideally the way. That's the way you draw it up to build a football team. Doesn't always happen that way, yep. but uh, that is the way that generally the the talent falls. And this year is definitely going to be no different. And there's going to be some really good players there on day two, and probably into day three at linebacker. Yep, and this year just happens to fit fit there that that whole strategy unbelievably well. I mean, again, these the second to you know, top 75 picks from like 30 to 75 could be littered with these names. So do you have any honorable mentions or, and feel free, cause I'm looking at your list that you wrote for that article. And if you have any changes, feel free to change it. But uh, were you, were there any honorable mentions before your number five linebacker Quay Walker out of Georgia? And would you like to change your number five linebacker? I don't know that I want to change it, but I'm going to just mention these names kind of in rapid fire. Christian Harris from Bama. He's a little bit of the smaller, covers tons of ground type of dude. Um, Channing Tindall is also a phenomenal athlete from Georgia. He will. There's two Georgia linebackers in my top five, and Tindall is probably seventh or eighth, you know, I mean, which is remarkable for that school, obviously. Um, Leo Chanel from Wisconsin is so much fun. I mean, this guy just had his pro day, tons of reps. He's a big rocked up guy that frankly in 1985 probably goes like eighth overall. You know I mean? He is a downhill 260 pound beat the crap out of you, dude, but he also runs in the high four fives, you know, but he's a good blitzer. He's an old school Wisconsin, you know, Big Ten type of dude that really looks the part that they would have loved years ago, and you still have to like him. Troy Anderson from Montana State is running back, quarterback, turned linebacker, and he was really good at the other things, and he's a phenomenal athlete. So, I mean, that's a long list of guys that if they were a five or four on my list, I'd say, yep, I get it. I mean, they're, they're really good. Quay Walker, number five. You can really see why Georgia was such a good football team, right, in the college football season. I mean, it's insane. And I'm surprised uh, Cincinnati in another way because I thought it was all, you know, uh, the last couple of years, I thought it was all their quarterback and Desmond Ritter that was elevating them. You look in the NFL draft, it's like, okay, this is why that team was. Not only did they have a good quarterback, but, man, they had a lot of athletes and a lot of really good players uh, at Cincinnati, and it really stands out for Georgia. I mean, you just see some of the freaks of nature they've had. Uh, It's really unbelievable. And there is two guys on your list here from Georgia. Uh, Your fifth linebacker is Quay Walker, 6'4", 241. Yeah, and I think you have to mention with all these Georgia guys that especially on the second level and we get to seeing the strong safety. I'm not taking anything away from those players, but I think it's especially true for N'Kobe Dean, who's number one on my list because he's smaller, that life is easier being in the front seven as a Georgia Bulldog than it is for yes. Chad Muma, Wyoming, or you know what I mean? Like they get <laughs> right. protected well. I mean, you have to realize that. You, you stay pretty darn clean if you are N'Kobe Dean. Right. Yes, and Jordan Davis and Wyatt and the kid next year is going to get picked ahead of both of them, you know. And and these linebackers, like Quay Walker was like a borderline starter for them. He's my fifth guy. He's 6'4", 240, long, runs like a deer, you know, great um, heavy hands. And the other thing about the Georgia guys I noticed from studying all these players, they really stress run defense. Like, um, what's his face? The edge guy that's going to get picked super high. 
uh, Trevon Walker. Yeah. 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 I mean, he doesn't even know what he's doing yet as a pass rusher, but nobody gets outside him on the edge. You know, no, strong Walker, hands. He's, he yeah. set the hell out of the edge and even, you know, could kick inside more so than being that, you know, undersized, trying to run around the offensive tackle all day edge player. Yeah. I mean, they don't rush the passer on the or play the run on the way to the passer. I mean, they set the edge in a big way. And Quay Walker's like that, too. He's almost like a KJ Wright, you know, line him up over the tight end. Nobody's running outside me, but he can run and he can cover. And I mean, there's a ton of these guys in this draft. Yeah. And with some size, he still ran a four five two at the uh, at the combine. At six four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 And you mentioned Muma. Chad Muma out of Wyoming is your number four linebacker. Yeah, and he's also a big dude, six three, two forty ish as well. Um, as often the case, I mean, a lot of these guys started as safeties, and Muma was a big safety. Erlacker-ish, I guess, is you know that that type of dude, forty-inch vertical, makes a ton of plays at a small school, consistently the best player on the field at his level of competition. Um, one thing I don't like about some of these tall linebackers that worries me about Muma is he's a little high-waisted, he's a little high-cut, he's a little leggy, however, whatever word you want to use to describe that, and it's sometimes he just can't protect his legs well enough, you know, for blockers. Number three, Damone Clark out of LSU, 6'2 and a half, 239 pounds. Another big dude. Um, great tester. Physical as hell. Uh, I mean, real thumper, but very aggressive. I forget I should know this, but LSU has a jersey number that is special to them. You know, and it's a single digit number. And I think Clark has gotten it two years in a row where it's like the greatest honor in LSU. And he's that type of dude. So uh, I see very little bust potential, but I think his best football is ahead of him, too. We're seeing a sweet spot, too, size-wise. It's around that 235, just under 240 range, but you kind of want to be above the 220s, but we're seeing some 220s. You know, 229 to to, to 239 is is where a lot of these guys are coming in size-wise. And, you know, it used to be that was, well, I don't know what we're going to do with this guy, 230 pounds, he's too small, you know, because it used to be a 250-pounder, a high-speed collision with a a 230-pound fullback, and that's just not the case anymore. First of all, there's no fullbacks, period, hardly. And, uh, yeah, and, and it, you still got to cover tight ends and cover slot receivers in, in zone. So, yeah, it's it's amazing to see how much smaller linebackers are getting to the point where the the old uh, – you see Quay Walker, 6'4", 241, you're like, wow, that guy's huge. And that used to be yeah. the, what everyone was looking for. 100%. You know, again, Erlacher types, you know. Um, that was a little bit of a – now I think about it. I mean, a lot of those names I listed as honorable mentions – were the 6'1", 225, fly around the field, would have been a strong safety te- you know, 20 years ago types. And so I, I, I ended some ties with the bigger dudes. If the athleticism is still there. And we, I was yeah, talked about 4'5", right, 2 right, right. for Walker. Um, Damone Clark was 4'5", which is a solid number, 36.5-inch yeah. vertical. Uh, Devin Lloyd is your number two linebacker, 4'6", 6'6". He's a really athletic guy. I thought I would actually see even better workout numbers from Devin Lloyd, but you know, 4'6", is, is definitely not bad for a linebacker, 25 bench press reps, 35-inch vertical. So athleticism for sure, but didn't like completely blow up the combine or anything. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like it used to be linebackers running 4'6", 6", 6". You're like, wow, that guy can fly. Right. And, and this one's like, well, it's not quite as good as I thought. Yeah, you know? and as they get smaller, you expect them to be faster, though, too. Yeah, 100%. And uh, my maybe he had a bad day because you watch him on tape. Speed does not look like a problem at all. I, I don't know if Utah's had their pro day or not. I have not been on top of pro day circuit as well as I should. 
but he has length, he has toughness, former safety, explosive. There's a strong case that he should be the first linebacker off the board. The top two, to me, are really interchangeable at 1 and 1A. It's looking like Lloyd's Utah Pro Day is actually today, so we'll get some of those a little bit later in the day. We'll find out what Lloyd runs. And he's a physical guy. He did well on the bench, you know, long arms. There's not much to not like about Lloyd. He makes a million plays a game. And uh, talk about Nicobe Dean. Obviously the smallest on this list, Georgia linebacker, 5'11", 229 pounds, but, you know, flies all over the field. Jonathan Vilma is the comparison. Oh, you know, I, like I mean, that. really nasty leader, unbelievable diagnosed skills. The he is the alpha dog on that Georgia defense, which is really saying something. But man, I, I have more. Cons- I had a hard time putting him one to be honest with you because he didn't participate at the combine. But just watching him stand there in shorts and t-shirts next to the other linebackers, it's like. He's small, man. I mean, he's little. I mean, he is not really rocked up. He's not Sam Mills, Zach Thomas small, you know. I mean, he's just not that big of a person. And I, I don't know, is he, he's nursing an injury? Because he didn't. Yeah, he didn't uh, work out. Uh, and George's pro day was last week, and I don't think he ran there either. Right. I, I don't think he did either. I don't know exactly what the case is with him, but he did play in the national championship game. Maybe he's been fighting something or had something cleaned up. I, I don't know. But he's also, I mean, because of that size, goes back to that Georgia thing. I mean, like, he's great when Jordan Davis and Quay Walker are taking on all the blocks and he just runs around and makes every play. But if he goes to a team, and it's not going to be like that in the league. He better fly, too. And so uh, Kirby Smart, the coach there at Georgia, said that Nicobe Dean has a pectoral strain. And okay. so it looks like something he that happened while he was trying to get ready for the bench press at the Combine. So he hasn't been able to train. So he's got something scheduled for mid-April before the draft to get those times down. Okay. I mean, I'm sure he'll run well, and he needs to, but... He plays unbelievably fast, but life's easy for life's easier for Nicobe Dean than it is for Chad Mumo. Yeah, no, that's a good point, and yeah. uh, it's a similar point for a lot of prospects. You know, in a lot of years, that man, life is so easy when you're singled up all the time, and, and you're this former five star guy, and you can kind of just sleepwalk your way through and, and be a stud. You know, if, if you're if you've got that sort of those gifts, and so mm-hmm. a lot of times. Um, I mean, this is a conversation for another day, but you know, I've seen some people recently on Twitter asking me about prospects. It's like, hey, what about this guy? Didn't do much in college, but was a five-star recruit. Those are the prospects I hate. It's like, I don't want that. I want the, yeah, I want yeah. the overachieving guy who was only 155 pounds as a junior in high school, didn't get recruited, and then it turned into Demarcus Ware at Troy. And when the other team knew this was the only good player on that team, he still wrecked you. Like, that's what I want. I want the overachievers that had to take a tougher path. I don't want the guy who underachieved with an easy path that has all the tools because what do I expect him to do when he gets to the NFL? Is he suddenly going to, the switch going to turn on for him? No, I want the guys that have the, the switch turned on. You see a lot of D tackles like that. The Albert Hainsworth that can take right. plays off, you know, and yes. it's just easy for them. Um, I know we got to wrap this up, but there certainly is an art to making tackles without ever getting blocked, you know, reading, getting places that others can't. Ray Lewis made a lot of unblocked tackles. But PFF or one of these people should do a percentage of how many tackles did you have where you were totally untouched? I, I would be yeah. curious about that for linebackers. Right, like a block blocks taken on stat. 
Right, right. A dirty, How often a dirty do you have to get off a block? Yeah, that's you a good know, one. I like event. that. Yeah, I wonder if they're. I doubt that's out there yet. I haven't heard that, but it should be. I'm going to talk to and some. I, of my and folks. I'm not going to do the work. I got some friends at PFF. I'm going to. I'm going to sneak that one by and see if they've got something. There you go. If I was a younger man, maybe I'd take that on, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, too late to start that project. <laughs> Making sure George Brett had the right batting stance and batting average. Exactly. You know, I when could, I was a kid, yeah. is one thing, but uh, yeah, no. I could. That's I could spin that little thing, but I, you know, Madden was a little too <laughs> progressive for me. All right, good stuff. That is Matt Williamson's top linebackers for the NFL draft. If you don't like his list, hit him up on Twitter at. Williamson NFL. I'm at BD Peacock on Twitter. We're going to filter through some more questions, get into the defensive backs for the draft later on this week as well. Thanks for making us your first listen. For your second listen, check out Matt doing Locked On Dynasty here on the network. I'm doing Locked On 49ers. If you're not a 49ers fan, every team is covered on the network, no matter the sport. And also Locked On NFL Draft. Fantastic stuff from Eric Crocker and who was my co-host on Locked On 49ers, by the way. And right yeah. and uh Ryan Tracy, who does Locked On Chiefs as well. They're doing Locked On NFL Draft, talking about the draft every day right here on the network. Matt and I back to finish up the week tomorrow right here. Peacock and Williamson.